Okay, we want to first <coughs> mention uh, the LA community in general has been blessed with a lot of Chashev Talmidei Chachamim and Rosh Yeshiva that came to visit and uh, and in our neighborhood in particular there's been a there's been a lot of uh, opportunity for B'nai Torah to come together to listen to Divrei Torah from esteemed Rosh Yeshiva. And one of those families in Pico Roberts in Beverly Wood that really have a big chilek in, uh, in, in helping spread Torah is the Hertz family. Their house is always open. They, they do so much. They're, uh, they're a beautiful addition to the, to the whole community. It's a special schuss to have with us, Rabbi Aaron Lopiansky Shlita, one of the unique Talmidi Chachamim we have in our country that is able to spread Torah in many different areas, a big, uh, a big hekif. And tonight he's going to speak about the life of Benu Tam, which is a fascinating topic, not something that usually you'll hear. And it's a, it's a great opportunity. I'm personally very excited and we want to thank the Rosh Hashiva for tonight, people coming, it's uh, obviously it's right after Shabbos, so I thought, and uh, people waited till Rabbeinu Tam, so it's uh, <laughs> to be able to come, so it's uh, just to have the Rosh Hashiva and uh, to address us on this topic. One quick thing, Rabbi Yossi is here also with Ray Merkin on behalf of the Yeshiva of Great Washington, and it's a beautiful Mossad, and really is a trailblazing uh, entity in the fact that outside of the New York, New Jersey area, uh, there are really a lot of yeshivas that are developed in such a way. Certainly, it's due to the vision of Rabbi Merkin and the incredible, incredible gifts of Rabbi Lopiansky. And anybody would like to help the yeshiva, I think uh, they would probably be happy to meet with you. And um, so, after this presentation, very happy, very happy, not just happy, but very happy. Uh, if people want to speak to Rabbi Merkin or Rabbi Lopiansky, please feel free to do so. Um, so, I, thanks. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, I'd like to thank the host, um, and I'd like to thank the host community. Um, this is, Baruch Hashem, I think the third time I'm involved with some link. I'm linked with link for the third time, so I guess the chazak of being linked with link. Um, I want to express my uh, appreciation for Rabbi Brad and what he does. And tonight we saw a clear sign of Baruch HaKodesh on his part, how he guessed that we would welcome people given to Yeshiva. It's a clear, it must be Ruach HaKodesh or Sarva based Madrasha. I have no other explanation for that. Um, and Rabbi Stern and Rabbi Lebhar and, you know, and all the people that, that I've, I've come to know. And Baruch Hashem, it's a wonderful thing. I keep hearing wonderful things about it. Um, we have a mini Yeshiva that we have Amlava Malka once a month um, the, uh, in my house. And I was looking for, I wanted some sort of kvias to discuss something, to do something on, different than a, a shir, a shmuz, you know, it's a, the, the things, Matzah Shabbos has a certain flavor of its own. And I decided, uh, this is a few years ago, that we would do a biography of an Adam Gadol whose yard site would be the next month. That became the kvias, and, and Baruch Hashem, you know, not, not every, it just doesn't work out every month, whatever, but by and large, it's been gone for a few months, and, and uh, for a few years. It's, and uh, it's something that I think is extremely important. 
people, mm-hmm. you, the world is divided between, somebody once said, between the people who learn about Baron Cutler's Torah and the people who know where Baron Cutler was, but very rarely they overlap. So learning in yeshiva, we actually live the words of Tamir Chachamim, but most people have a hard time knowing who lived when, what, where. And the people who do specialize in that, they usually tend not to have ever learned any of it. Um, a second fact that I think is very important is um, to, to try to understand where history comes from. I, I want to quote a Batchen. Rabbi Yankel Miller is a famous Kiddush Batchen. And he said, and I quote, I despise Batchanim that invent false stories. My habit is to invent true stories. That was so. It's, it, people like to look for sensational stories, and they like to look for, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not. And most of the time, it's hard to say a story didn't happen, but the question was, on what basis do you think it did happen? So you get a lot of stories that may or may not be wow, but first of all, believing that it's, that happened, you know, the way they said it. And the biggest question is, how do you know? So again, Ruach HaKodesh, if, you, if you're on the Ruach HaKodesh track, then, then, then that, that's the answer. But if you're trying to... So I, I'm makpid each time I speak about a gadol, who's is going to be, to explain where I got my information from. Um, it should be written sources. It's impossible that... We're talking about events that happened 900 years ago. It's impossible that the stories were told over without becoming totally corrupted. When people speak about Sir and Torah Shabbat Peh, Torah Shabbat Peh was studied in yeshivas 24-7 in the big centers with a tremendous diuk. So yes, we have the, the, the Messiahs. Stories were told over when you had to put a kid to sleep, when you needed to speak for an audience. Where's where, where where the so, so I'm very. So the best material is autobiographies. Now, Gedolim were not in the habit of writing autobiographies, but they were. Um, and Tshuvas Farim are usually an incredible source for meaningful material about the, the struggles, the problems, the challenges of Adar, and, and, and certain and certain Nekudas that each generation was knowing. It. So we're going to do the same thing, but Hashem Rabbeinu Tam's yard site is, it's next, it's a week from, from Sunday, and uh, it's Dalatamus, and I'm going to try to first of all sketch out a brief sketch of his life, then go into some more detail. I, I, I struggle a little bit with the following. The audience here seems to me have different different uh, backgrounds. There are some people here who must say the word Rabbeinu Tam five times a day, and some people probably never heard of it. Uh, I will apologize if I insult people's intelligence by over-explaining. I'll apologize if I say things that you just don't know what the words are. Feel free to ask and interject, but I, I just—it's hard for me to gauge, you know, if, if the audience. So I'm going to go. So let's go a little bit of a background. The 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 the, the Gemara as it stands itself as it stands is the Torah Shabbat Peh that we have. That's the Gemara. The, the the most definitive explanation of the Gemara is Rashi, who lived in the 10 hundreds in France. And that has become the first and foremost explanation of the Gemara. Now, once we have the Gemara with explanation, Talmud is huge. And there are a lot of areas that seem to be in dispute, not clear, all sorts of things like that. 
And the school that began asking those questions and giving the answers that are fundamental to understanding the different sugyas are the Balitosvas. Balitosvas was started by Rashi's grandchildren. They were Rashi's grandchildren, of whom Rabbi Tam is one of them. And that became, for about 200 years, you had a, a, a school, a school in the broader sense of the word of people learning the different sugyas with each other, act, questions, answers, back and forth, and many of these Balitosas wrote down their notes that they had. Probably all of them wrote down their notes. When they printed the Talmud, they began um, taking, the person who printed it was actually a guy, and he was a guy who knew that Jews would buy books, and therefore he hired a whole staff to research what would be the best Pirushim and Kedushim, what would be, what would be the best to publish. And um, and they came up with really good magiyim, and they put different toysvis on each mesechta. So in other words, each mesechta had um, a, a, a bal toysvis that they used his toysvis as the main toysvis on that mesechta. There are many, like Rabbi Lazim Yitoch is many of them, and Rabbi Riyazak is some of them, but by and large, on the side of every black gemara, you have toysvis, which is the beginning of our pilpul in Shas. And that is um, the, fun, the that is the foundation of, of learning Torah Be'iyun that we have. Rabbeinu Tam was a grandson of Rashi. Rashi had a few daughters. His grandchildren were illustrious. And the Rabbeinu Tam's older brother Rashbam. And the Rabbeinu Tam himself was probably the most brilliant. He was looked upon as the most choshev of all of the Balitoisvis. He's mentioned, I did a computer check, he's mentioned 3,000 times in, 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 in Shas. Now, it, it could be the same Toisvis as Asenath, but, but it's 3,000, which averages to well over once a blot. That's how often he's mentioned. He is considered to be the preeminent god of the Balitoisvis, the, the Chorif, and so on. That's a, a general background to, to who we're talking about. He was born in about 1100, and he lived in a small Fran- French city, or the city village called Romro is the Hebrew, Romro is, 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 is the French pronunciation of it. It's a small hick village somewhere in the north of France, and that's where he learned with his father primarily and, and so on. Besides Taisvis, and this is where I get the material from, besides the Tosis that we have, he didn't, we don't have any of his Tosvis. We have his Kedushma integrated. He put out two important Sfarim called Sefer Hayasha. Um, Sefer Hayasha, one of them is Kedushma Shas, and we'll see soon what, what the genre is like. And one of them is um, Chuvis that he wrote to people. There's another Sefer called Sefer Hayasha, which is a Musa Sefer. It is not his Sefer. Um, it is written by somebody later, and it's, it's, it's mistakenly attributed to him. The one who actually signs off that it's a mistake is the Chidor. Chidor was one of the great um, bibliophiles in Klal Yisrael. Besides being Adam Gadol, Admoid, his Shema Gdolim is the elementary work for Sfarim and Gdolim, and he says it's not him. So all we have really as Chidushim such, and we have also Piyutim of his, are this Chidushim. Let's look at each one, and let's, and let's have a little bit of, a, of an understanding. His Sefer 
on a chidushim. It wasn't printed for a long time. It's a horrible mess. It's supposed to be Seder Ashas. It's out of order totally. Gersos are terrible, and so on. Uh, the Tshuva's for, uh, but, but it is. And he writes a Hakdama that's very important. We'll talk about it. His Tshuva's um, give us tremendous insight in his generation by the nature of the Shilas, and we're going to find some shocking facts about it. And also, um, by the language that used to respond, he was a very sharp, very critical, and, and, very, and, and, and people were, were scared of him. You see the, 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 the way they, they were messiahs to him. He, um, he himself made, he lived mm-hmm. off, he was a very successful business person. He, he, dealt, he dealt with wine, which I guess in France was always a good business. And he dealt, and he dealt with loans to Goya. I guess there were no nursing homes in those days, and, and real estate wasn't much, so that, that was left for the Jews was the bars and the and the and the banks. That was it, you know. That was that was, but that was what he what he had. And he, and it's in the Chuvas you have issues where he speaks about um, the different um, you know issues that arose. Goyim touched the wine, they moved the basket, the, the caskets, and so on. It, it's it's there. It's part of it. So the, um, I want to first ex- talk a little bit about his introduction to his Sefer Yasher, the Chidushim. And because the introduction, he gives a certain statement which defines what he was about and so on. You have to understand something. If you ever try copying notes by hand, if anybody knows what notes are and anybody knows what by hand is, if anyone still rem- dates himself remembering, it is impossible to do it Accurately, there's no way a person can copy two, five, ten, a hundred pages of somebody else, not make any mistakes. Um, and then, as it goes, it gets worse and worse. So, people at that time had um, many, many. First of all, they didn't have many, many uh, scrolls, many gemaras, because they're very expensive. It was handwritten, but if you had it, the chances were no two were exactly the same. And knowing what a correct reading is, was difficult. So there's the following temptation. A person would sit at Gemara and learn, and he would have a problem. So he would scratch his head and cross out something and write in, this is the way it ought to be. Now, um, sometimes it might be right. Sometimes it's just an easy way to get out of a problem. There's a, again, this is an this is anecdotal, but there, there, they said, it doesn't make a difference that he used to, there was one person in his town, Brist, that used to borrow Gemaras, and had an annoying habit of writing in on the side his chidushim and signing off on it. And Reb Chaim lent him his Gemara, and he asked him for Gemara, so Reb Chaim was good-hearted, he said, but two conditions, no chidushim on the side, and certainly not signing off your name. So he comes to a Mishnah, it says, Chamor Gomel. It's a mission Erevin about. It's not important. It has the word Chamor Gomel, which means a camel donkey. What it means is as if it's two animals pulling different directions. This person looked at it, says that must be a mistake, crossed it out, wrote on the side Chamor Gomel. A, a big donkey. Reb Chaim got the Gemara back. He said both conditions you were over on. You made a girsa and you signed off on it. <laughs> so, so the, 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 the nature of learning for many people was to, to just make girsa, which meant destroying basically shas. 
And he writes, Sefer Yasha, and I'm going to skim through it. It's a, it's a, it, it this is an introduction. Unusual, usually, for, uh, almost no Rishonim ever wrote introductions to the work. He did. He says, I call it Sefer Yasha. Sefer Yasha means the straight path. Because I, I showed the straight path in all of the early, in, in the Gemaras. And the Gersos are appropriate because I saw the terrible uh, e- evil that people are sitting and they are changing the, 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 the text of the Gemara. Um, and he uses some poetic terms. I, I'm, I'm going to just get to the, just this fact. And, and thinking that the more you change, the better off it is. And even though Rabbeinu Gershom, who was at, at the turn of millennium earlier, cursed anyone that would change the text of the Talmud, um, they didn't, it didn't stop them. And not only did they, did they you know, side texts, but even what the person said, Mefurish, the person said, Chayev, Pata, Muta, Asa, they also did. And he says, that's terrible. He says, my grandfather, Rashi, if he ever changed a Gersa, he changed it in his own text. In other words, he didn't cross out. He wrote on the bottom, he wrote, I think that it ought to say this and this. He did not allow for putting it into the text itself. That was considered to be wrong. And the reason is because, yes, maybe somebody else is going to come along and somebody else is going to, um, someone else is going to come along and, and realize it's perfectly good shot. So Rashi writes, he said, however, certain unscrupulous um, printers, who wrote a manuscripts, actually changed the Gemara based on Rashi. And that's not what Rashi wanted to do. It's not what Rashi would have agreed to. And he said, I took a look in his own books. He never, ever crossed out. And he said, um, a person is entitled to write notes as he wishes, as he understands, but to change the Sefer itself? He said, sometimes you don't, if you learn enough places, realize what is Pshat. Um, and then he brings sources for it, and he says, I will show you a few places where um, people changed it. And, you know, and then he said, my brother, my older brother, Rabbi Shmuel, it was the Rashbam. He wrote a commentary on parts of it. He said he changed 20 times as many times as his grandfather Rashi. How could he do something like that? They never erased Sfarim. Very upset with that. And this goes on and on with it. And then he says, um, and, and he says, basically, I'm writing this Sefer to show you that there is no need whatsoever to change Sfarim. If you understand Pshat and you figure it out, you will be able to see Pshat even though it, it, at first glance it's difficult. So he says very clearly, and that seemed to have been, and, and let's think a little bit about it. If, if, we, if we think a minute about what happened behind, the, the, this is the, the Geonim who had written a few um, centuries before, they would just write like what Pshat is. When you sat down and you saw contradictions, the temptation to change the Gersa was great. And that be- started to become the direction of people going. Rabbi Tom said, no. If you ask yourself contradictions and understand why it's not a contradiction, you're going to be able to understand. Both Gemaras will make sense, 
and you'll also understand a lot more. And this became the basis for our learning. I, I, I want to pause a minute. Um, there's, there's been always a kind of tension between scholarship, quote-unquote, academic scholarship, and yeshiva learning, where an academic will only look and kind of, you know, it, it, material and not look at content. And therefore, it's very easy to play with the text, but that's missing the whole point of the Gemara. The reason why you have a contradiction is that you don't understand it. And if you were to understand something, you would now get the whole thing. So Rabbeinu Tam, in this, in this, in, in this push, and it's a very powerful push, he cursed people who would change the text, began the process of learning the way we learn, which means when you have a problem, you don't erase the Gemara. You begin to understand, and if I can give a marshal, it's like when you have something that's two-dimensional, you, they, they, they sort of contradict each other. If you understand it as a third dimension, so because there's another dimension, then there's no contradiction. When you understand another pshat, and you understand, well, it's more complex than you imagined, then you get this. Yes. That was something that was extremely important. One. Two. In, in, his, in his tshuva part, he has a fiery, fiery debate. It's actually more one-sided because it's going, it's him against somebody. There was somebody, Rabbeinu Mishulam, who defers to him, but, but is upset, as follows. There were many halachas that they followed in France that to come from the Gemara. They did come from the Gaonim. They did come from Prince Rabbanim. They did not come from the Gemara. So this person repaskened all those halachas and said, you know, let's disregard, we have a Gemara, and we will go, we, and we will with the Gemara, and not with the Gonim. He, he has a whole list of his minhagim, and he's, he fires against the person. He writes about him, and he says, um, he says, he, he, brings, he brings a lot, a lot of material. Then he says like this, um, our minhag is Torah, and the minhag in Bavel was made based on Hamzah, which is the Ikahira, and therefore our Ga'inim and our Banasuroi are the ones we depend on. In other words, and he, and he writes this constantly, do you think you're smarter than the, than the Ga'inim? The Ga'inim were the ones who knew, who understood, they had these huge yeshivas that were the centers. If, yes, you're right, it's not like the Gemara, there must have been a reason. And this becomes, this is, a, a, and I'm going to point out a contradiction in a minute. He, he, so he, he goes very strongly on record defending the Minhagim of France and very sharply against the people who were trying to repaskin what's going on. On the other hand, there's, there's a, in, in, in Gitten, um, there's a Riaz that brings from him that he was fired against a certain Minhag. And, and Rabbi Natam writes, let's find the Russian here, he writes that minhag is oisis gehenim. In other words, when you have a minhag that, you know, it, 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 people rely on a minhag, it's gehenim. How, how do you understand the contradiction? So we could amend the text maybe, and that, that, would be, that, would, that would work. But I think what it means is as follows. He was talking about a minhag that had no clear source. In other words, the Chaznish was very makbit. When a city had a minhag, 
and there were no chasur rabbanim that had been in the city, he discounted that minag as being amaratzis. A minag means that the last guy davened for the Ahmed made a mistake. That's what it means. Or he was tired, or he was in a rush, or whatever it was. But where you had chachamim that, 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 that led a community, and this is what they believed in. This is what they paskined. So my question is, I don't understand where high ground is coming from. It's okay, so you don't understand. In other words, this person wanted to take halachas psukas of the gaonim and undo them because the Gemara says not like that. That, he really was furious. That, the pshad is, it's an amaratzis. I don't say something. You're bigger than that. There's a haughtiness. It's, it's arrogance. But if a person, if a person just went to communion, there was this minhagim, then, 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 then so what? Somebody once, uh, I remember I heard this joke when I was young. I couldn't figure out what was funny about it. But I, I, I realized there was a, a, there was a, a yid who came. There was a shtetl melech. It's melech one of the million shtetlach in Europe. And a yid came over the boat, and he went to the melech. Kehillot, the melech says, Shtibol. So someone asked him, what's doing in melech? What so he said, last year, by Hakafis, somebody was killed with the crush and all the people. He says, ay, Baruch Hashem. He says, what do you mean? He says, we had a custom every year, at least one person would get killed in, in, the, in that coffee with all the stuff. And I was scared, you know, in modern times, these, these minhagim become bottle. So now, Baruch Hashem, the minhagim still last. So, so, so that's, that minig is Gehenim, Isis Gehenim Lafreya. Yes. But when you're talking about, and this is, and this is on and on, he, he, his, his point is, any halacha that comes to us based on the, the Gdola Gonim, the Gdololim, that becomes halacha and that's such. That, that, that's something, there's a lot of that in his truvis, that's a very, his lotion is, and again, I think that's, that, that's what he means over here. The, um, what were some of the problems and issues that came up? Um, and, you know, I once saw a sefer, the most common phrase used in a drasha is, you know, once upon a time, uh, things were good, wonderful, today is terrible, and so on. So there's somebody who wrote a book with a collection. He wrote this, say, for 100 years ago, with a collection what somebody wrote 200 years before him on how terrible his generation is and how good it was generation before. So that, that seems to be a, like a, a current thing about what was. L- two things I'd like to, again, uh, two, two halachas. There was a question, how to write, um, the, 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 he says like this, let's, let's take the easy one first. He says, it's been 10 years in our country that no one has mezuzahs. Now, I just make clear what he's talking about. The, the, the question was a rental, a, not, a, not a house that was owned, people rented, and they did not know the halacha, and therefore they did not put mezuzahs in. And it went on mezuzahs. And he says, the whole country, people don't have mezuzahs. It's a terrible thing. But he writes, it's, it's been tens of years like that. That's an easy one. But there was a big question. If somebody be- converts, converts means he schmatz, he becomes a guy, and he's writing a get to his wife, or, or she's having a get written, whichever one, whoever schmatz, do you use the Yiddish name or the Goyish name? Somebody was Velvel and he now calls up William. Which name do you use? Sabina Tam held very strongly that you use the Yiddish name. And, but he writes. He says, 
He says, you know that all the Meshubadim, we, 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 we call them by bad names, like Yehuda we call Yehudach, you know, the, the one who went off the derech. Asher, Asherah, Menachem, Melachem. And he says, and nobody, he says, Nobody knows he's called William Gilma. It's probably it's a French Guillaume. And he says, and many Mishabadim divorced their wives, and they only wrote the Jewish names because that's how we call them. And he says, well, my own cousin, Rabbi Yaza, my cousin, divorced his wife, and their name was Vashalin and Bilchitz. That's that's the, the the names they gave him. We wrote Eliezer and Rachel, and he says. There were, he says, 20 or 30 couples, he says, recently um, got divorced, and Goyim, you know, they're Mummer, and they Shmad, and we all use his name. 20 to 30 couples. It's incredible. Now, it was tough times. The times were crusader times, and we're going to see something soon about it, and it was very, very difficult times. But understand, that's an incredible number. We're not talking about that many Jews, and he doesn't, I mean, he, he, he doesn't. It's not. He doesn't write. Uh, he, he writes about it, not in, with, with, with expressions of terrible shock. It, it was almost. This is what they had to live with. So I, I believe, if, if I understand correctly, the history. And again, this is more of a guess. It wasn't people who a person who had a gun to his head and was forced to, to, to convert. I don't think this would be an issue. Um, they wouldn't have. I think it's people that they'd rather live as going because it's just so tough. It was. You know, it was very tough. But we're talking about an incredible amount of people. 20, 30 couples, he said. It, it's an incredible number. Um, so, so, he, so two things that, you know, when you talk about the good old days, ask the person, you know, if, if the good old days were when, when you had to face something like Shemad and so on. The, um, his, the time was a very, very difficult time. And I want to tell over a story. This is written by a contemporary Sefer. Um, it is, and again, that's why I feel very, very um, comfortable saying it because it was written by a contemporary. The, um, the, the, there's a sefer written by Ephraimi Bon. It was in the time of uh, those Kufis. He wrote about the Crusaders. There are a few works. Somebody actually, a, a person, put together a few svarim about Xerus in there, and he writes about something that happened in a town on the second day of Shavuos. The crusaders from France came to Remro, and they came to Rabbi Tam's house. They took everything in his house. They tore up a Sefer Torah in front of him. They took him out to the field. They spoke to him very harshly, and they said they're going to kill him. They wounded him five times because they said, you're the God in Kal Yisrael, and we will pierce you with the five times that our Lord was pierced. Mm-hmm. And they basically were going to kill him. Hashem was Merachim, and a big, uh, some sort of knight, uh, some sort of official came by, and, and Rabbi Tam called him, and he bribed him. And he gave him a horse worth five skukim, and the Sarek went to these people, and he said, listen, leave him to me, and give me 24 hours to convert him. And if not... I will give him back to you, and you can do whatever you want with him. So they left, and that was the end of that. And you know, and they, and they, and they, um, you know, they, they went on to whatever else they went on to. And he said, and then he said, uh, you know, 
the the um, then he quotes he writes about the other kehillas and so on. This, by the way, is something that uh, we need to bear in mind. You know, we learn the Rishonim. The Rishonim are really the heart of what we learn on, on the, in the um, in Shas, and they're written with such great, um, it, almost as if detached from anything, because just dealing with the material, you, you don't ever find as if somebody was troubled, hurried, worried. I mean, this is Rishonim, and many of them suffer terribly. I mean, they, they, you know, it, 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 there, there's a lot written in them. Many of them, the Crusaders and then the Xeris in Germany and so on. It's, it's important to bear in mind um, really um, what conditions they were able to write choices under. Then, um, so, so he, I mean, he, he almost was killed because of that. I, I want to finish off with um, two or three um, Ha-rochos, um, I guess, it, what peer evaluation of Rabbeinu Tam. One is brought as a sefer called Or HaChayim, which is a, a, it's a bibliographic work which brings different, um, a, d- different sfarim who wrote them, so on and so forth. He brings from a different sefer, Yasha, from Shimshon Mipolish. I, I don't have it. And it says like this. He wrote, Mi'igala ofen be'nenecha be'neshlomo. Rashi, you know, who would uncover your eyes? It's expression, it's a Gemara expression, meaning if only you could see. Your grandson goes to war against you. In other words, Rabbi Natam asked so many questions and so much with, on Rashi, most, most of the back and forth with Rashi. And I am sure that you're happy with it because um, that you were Zoha to such a grandchild because a person is never jealous of a child and of a Talmud. And this is who he is to you. Um, so an understanding that this is what Rashi would have wanted, it's fascinating. There is another Tosfus that I would like to share. Um, before we get to the Tosfus, Tosfus says in Ksubis, the, um, there's a question there. If It says when Rabbeinu HaKadosh died, he was so holy that the Gemara says kahuna was battle, that people, um, the kohanim were metame. It's a question what it means exactly. But Tosa says over there, Reb Chaim Cohen, who was one of our Tosa, said, had I been around when Rabbeinu Tam passed away, I would have gone to the funeral and become Tomei, because he certainly stands on that madrega. That's an extraordinary uh, uh, evaluation of what it meant. Thomas Kayin is not a light thing. Rabbeinu HaKadosh is one. And he said the same in Rabbeinu Tam. Before I get to the final Hiroch, there's another one more piece about Rabbeinu Tam that was very unusual. Spanish gedolim, Spanish schools were into diktuk, poetry, etc. Grammar and poetry and things of that nature. Philosophy. The, the French, Balatoisvis, Germans, were into Talmud and Halacha, not much into philosophy, not much into Diktuk, and so on. Mm-hmm. We're proud to carry on that tradition as far as Diktuk goes. But Hashem, we, we, we have a Mesaurus that. Uh, um, Rabbi Tam was unusual. First of all, he wrote an important work in Diktuk, and I'll explain briefly what it was. 
you know, we get diktuk on, on a, on a uh, sort of uh, preset, you know, book, and that's it. There's a book of diktuk. The new book of diktuk came down from Sinai. Somebody had to figure it out backwards, looking at the, at the Torah, Tanakh, try to figure out a diktuk. As diktuk became more formalized, there was a major machlokas between two great grammarians, Menachem and Sarek, and Dem Donish ben And the main machlokas um, was about how to, what format do, um, do uh, Hebrew verbs take on? Are they absolutely three-letter? Is that the absolute format or not? Um, anybody who learns diktuk today and is upset can thank Donish Velavret uh, for that. That's our modern diktuk space on that. Rashi brings both. Uh, many times, I, I think they seem to favor Menachem ben Sorek more. Um, Rabbi Natam wrote a sefer called Sefer Achros, which he sort of gives his input where he feels each one is right. Highly unusual for somebody in France. It was, it was not uh, the norm. It, 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 but he, was, he also wrote Piyutim. A little bit different in Spanish, I'll be you. There's a very famous exchange. Again, this is recorded. Him and Eben Ezra. Eben Ezra came to... Eben Ezra wandered terribly, and France was one of his stops. England is a Shaila, it's a big machlokas, if he made anything, but France, he was there. And he came into contact with Benetam. And there's this extraordinary exchange. He found a, a something, a little a song that Benetam wrote. He says, who brought the Frenchman into the house of song? And he came into, into, a, a, into the royal house into the, of, 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 of poetry. Like, who invited him in? Where's this? It's pretty famous. I have it. It's, it's, it's brought in a whole bunch of places. And um, there's a safer with all the Piyutim of Ebenezer has it there. It's, it's a, and he says... And even if his song is as sweet as Mun, I'm the sun. And it says the Mun melted with the sun. So I will make to know to this. The, um, the, he responded to Rabbi Natam, and he said, It's a complimentary point. Ani eved lavrom lemikne. I'm an eved lavrom vakoide v'shtachel apov, and I'll bow to you. At this point, I think Ibn Ezra had second thoughts, and he writes, "Is it appropriate that the prince of Klal Yisrael and and the manhig should have to bow his head in a letter to a nobody?" The Balach should not be bound to Billah. Uh, uh, an exchange between Doli Israel, fascinating exchange, and um, this was uh, a back and forth on it. I guess um, I would like to leave off with the, the last thing is what the Rivash wrote about it. As somebody had, in, in Rivash was later in, in Spain, and the Rivash, somebody had paskined against Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam about something, and he was furious about it. Uh, the Rivot writes a very, very strong truth against it. And he says like this, the, the Rashi, who's the great son, he, he shed light on the entirety of Talmud. Without Rashi, 
It would have been a, a, a work that would be unaccessible. And the second bright sun is Rabbeinu Yaakov Ishtam, Rabbeinu Tam. There was no one that has his power of pilpul since the Talmud was sealed. Talmud Aruch Befivishagur, he has the words of the Talmud on his tip of his tongue. Sinai he knows everything and is brilliant. Um, from his pilpul and depth of understanding and breadth of knowledge, every brilliant person is petrified. And, and he said, and you don't disregard and so on. In other words, and, and unfortunately the word pilpul is used kind of derogatory for, for, no, for no really good reason. The word pilpul is, is part of Torah. Pilpul means to be able to take ideas that seem to contradict each other and understand the context in where each one operates. It, it is the basis for understanding a song. So like upon him, it, it, I mean, Rabbi Tam is um, a, a, it's, it's a seminal figure. Besides, on the personal godless, there's not, not, not me nor anyone else could, could give uh, evaluations, and it's not for us. But to understand, first of all, he began a process that is learning for us. In other words, Torah went Mishnah, and the Mishnayis are the building blocks, but they, they contradict each other, and, and they not, sometimes it's hard to understand what it means, and the Gemara is the pulpul that brings out the meaning of the Mishnah. Once the Talmud was sealed, you had the Gaonim who explained it, passed it on, gave chuvas, but we didn't have a key for being able to understand that structure to put conflicting um, sugis into place. Um, Rabbi Natam was the foundation, so he's coming off Rashi's grandfather and, and dealing with... Rashi dealt with explanations within the sugya. And even when Rashi took into account other sugyas, but he did it in a way without going... We, we, we have no way of seeing Rashi's logic. Rashi gave us the bottom lines, which is very important when, you, when you're learning and, and you, you, you're not holding it by it. Rabbi Natam's brilliance illuminated that. Rabbi Natam was a kanoi that the psukim we have, you don't take lightly. And, and it's true on the one hand that Torah allows for debate, but Torah demands humility. And when you look at a tshuva of somebody who's so much bigger than you, you can write, there are halimud, you can write, I have this point, this point, but a person needs to have the right level of makaras mekomo. This is one of the problems. Um, you can't, you know, you need to, to size up who am I, where, where can I say something, and against whom can I say it. If the Gonim instituted a minhag, and this was a tremendous kanos of, of, of minhagim. When minhagim were founded by people who were Gedoli Yisrael, and we know that this is, they found that these minhagim stand, then we need to express a lot of humility. We can express our... Um, lack of understanding, that's legitimate, but this is what it is. On the other hand, stuff that people do is not a minhag, and that's a very important, it's a very important qualifier. Where did this come from? Ignorant people who didn't know what they were doing, and this became just a mishmash, or that this is how they were and that's it. Um, the um, and and the the the, the that he had, and you see, it in the, he, he was very very strong 
on, on people that he felt were trying to change her and so on. The, uh, and finally, the Mr. Nefesh that Rishonim dealt with. I mean, this was their lives. And, and this come out about every Rishon, there's a story of, of, of almost being killed or being killed. I, I mean, everybody was persecuted. Everyone, Ramban, Rambam, Kuzari, um, everybody. Everybody was, was lived a, a terribly difficult life. And they produced the works that are Nitzchitz and Klai Yisrael. It, 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 it may be, it's the Schusadat, maybe it's the Snefesh. I don't know, but it's something to be aware of. Our Rabbi Natana, we said, learn over, was, was, was almost killed. It was, you know, because a, that was the Tchufis then. Like upon him, it's, it, 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 it's sometimes when you sit in the safe and we learn, we're so used to it, sometimes it's very helpful to sit back and to say to yourself, you know, look at this person, look, look, look at this guy, Rabbi. Okay, Bez Hashem, if I be serious, I have to say, Can I ask a question too? Yes, please, please. Was the It seems, yes, because the way he writes, he had, he had and again, this is all from his true son. He, he, had, he had servants, and he, he had his servants were doing this, and he had them move this, and he had he said his friends were building a house. There seemed to be an awful lot of economic activity. So, so he is understood to be, there's one place that they say it, it says he was wealthy. I am hard sometimes to get a sense of Shonos, but it's definitely accepted that he was that he was wealthy. Yes. I have a friend in yeshiva who was I remember when I was learning. Um, he this is a while ago that he he would try to reconcile all the Sefer Ayashers with the Baliat Taisis. We find steers between what he wrote in the Sefer Ayasher and and Taisis al Ashas. Right. Do you, have a mouth? Do you have any insight in that? So, so you know, it's ironic. The Sefer Ayasher is a horribly it's, I mean, the, the cursors are clearly wrong. It, it, it's one of the problems is a safer that wasn't printed for a long time or whatever it is. I mean, it, 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 just reading it, it it's, it's, not, it's not terribly readable and it's very mm-hmm. hard to understand. Yeah. So it's hard to know. It's, it's very hard to know, um, you know, the, the, the Teisvis was, was printed enough times and written enough times and, and in demand that we assume that the cursors are pretty good. But but a sefer like sefer Yasher, look at it. It's 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 and it's also the, it's it's so out of order. Yes, he has a mesechtes, but mesechtes is not in order. In the mesechtes itself, is not in order. It it dovetails a lot with with, with, with what he says in Tyson. But you're like you're right. Like a I don't I don't know the answer. It's one of these. I don't know. By the way, if somebody wants to get a sense, I just it's an anecdote. I, I once worked a long time ago. Um, I'm just going back thirty years ago. I, I, I worked with a friend of mine. We we put out it was for a put as current. We put out a balamor on shechita and treifus. There was a ksavyad. It had been printed by somebody who mixed up two kisayotes and just printed pages that didn't match up. I mean, incredible. But we printed. We we, we we worked on it, and the balamor asked a kasha on a sefer that that was written a hundred years after the balamor. No. So again, if we be chesidish yidnu, we'd say kleruach hakodesh. We didn't have that. That terrace wasn't available to us, and we couldn't, for life, of us figure it out. There was another ksaviyad of the Balamar, and then we realized what happened. The earlier one had this kasha written in on the side. Now, when somebody wrote in something on the side of a manuscript, it had two possible meanings. One is it was missing the manuscript and he wrote it in to be inserted, or he wrote his own personal chidushim on it. That, that, those were the two things that they could mean. This person who owned this manuscript had written 
his akasha on something that was written afterwards. He, the manuscript was 200 years later, whatever, whenever he had written it, whatever was written, and he printed it. The person who copied over the manuscript thought that this was meant to be inserted, didn't know much, so he inserted it. So we saw the second Zaviyat first, and, and it just, it was baffling. And you see, the first one makes a lot of sense. And, and this was part of what the problems were. It, it be, until printing came around, it, 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 except a Sefer Torah, you put excruciating effort. And even then, today with computer checking, we're able to find almost every Sefer Torah problems. But, but in, in, in those so Sefer Torah, you really, really, you know, you put excruciating amount of effort into it. But the, the less something was printed, your Shalmi, the less people learned it, there were more mistakes. Zvachim, Kachim, if you take a look, there's a lot of, of you know, correction on the side. Because people didn't learn it so much, so there was less sisaskos in it. And that, that was the, the norm. Yeah? But the inner Tom was very into reconciling contradictions and sugyas with Svarah. Right. But, what, but that approach really was not always muskav. In other words, you had other, let's say, the Rambam... And say others would say, no, that's stira and sugyas, machlokas, right? And right. So how, how did that, like, the people, were they misnagdim explicitly to Rabbeinu Tam approach of, whatever, let's call it, you know, the dialectical approach to... I, I think, again, I, it's, 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 it's always hard to guess, with, unless you have something. I, I think there were, there were different mahalchim that developed, and you take a look even like something like the, the German Balatos and go, well, much went to like the Marin Rothenberg, much more to Psakim than in the Shakavataria, um, even though the Shakavataria came before the Psak. Um, there's definitely going to be different Mahalkim, but I think they lived, I think it tended to be, wherever it was a yeshiva, people in that area learned a certain, you know, there was a certain Mahalak. There wasn't the interaction where you'd face off one against the other. The Rambam, actually, um, the Rambam had um, Hasidim in 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 um, Provence, and they wrote to him asking him on all sorts of psakim, and he wrote back, "We have it." And sometimes his terrors was, "I had two sugis, and this sugis seemed to be more stamilchus than that sugi." That, that is something that the Rambam. Um, h- hard to tell, you know. It, it, it's uh, if I, I, you know, there are stories I, again. Unver, I, I can't. I, the assumption should be not unless. Unless you have a clear right, yes. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm skeptical on these things. There are stories that they met, they started on death. You know, <laughs> we don't have it. But, but he writes to them, and, 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 he, and he explains, like he said, you know, they asked him from a Gemara, and he said, since his own place mentioned, and it's such a, my, my understanding is that the Stam of the Shas is not like that, and, and, and it can't be that's Pshat. That's the, you know, in, yeah, any. Okay. So, okay.